Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. It is considered complimentary when those listening to a preacher to be able to say, that preacher really worked that text. It was my experience that this text really worked me because it was so full of our humanity and God's divinity. There we are, walking side by side along with Jesus. And so I'm hoping that you will hear and see what I experience, and that we just offer you this reading of the word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 42, according to the New Revised Standard Version. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible with you. Take this cup from me, yet not not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. To the selection committee for the Calvary Lenten preaching service, um, thank you so very much for inviting me again. And to you who have come to hear an encouraging word, hope you get it, to um, support the outreach ministries at Calvary with your gifts, and to support me, thank you for your faithfulness. In our time together, I want you to join me in examining the topic, Stay Woke. Will you pray with me? God, we offer ourselves to you for whatever you have in mind for us. I have some words. You give the blessings. It is in your name that we pray, and the people of God said, Amen. The scripture previously read is an account of Jesus and some of his disciples on his journey with God, his creator, to reconcile. 
all four of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell Jesus praying before he is arrested. And though they differ in detail, we know whenever anything is repeated in more than one source, it is very important. And the gospels are no different. Today's media marketers have determined that we must hear voices or messages at least three times before we connect at the heart of the ask. One of the ways we verify whether it's really important or not is to check all the news sources that we trust and consider reliable to see if the story is covered, how it may differ in details, and what are the reactions of reporters, anchors, and sometimes editors. At one point in my discernment of this text, I was very focused on the sleeping disciples. I was so agitated and annoyed with them for sleeping on their security posts. What do you think would happen if you were a security guard found asleep or even nodding on your post at night in an urban park with no lighting? Well, how could they? How could they be so neglectful? This was no routine assignment. Jesus had spoken very prophetically and specifically at the Passover meal about what was ahead of them and didn't look good. Surely the wine from their previous Passover dinner was not that strong. And even so, they had a meal, not an all-night party. They were exceptionally groggy, close to unconscious in my reading, well, my creative reading of the text. Slowly, my disdain turned to curiosity and fascination. What had made them so sleepy? Now that generated a lot of information about REM, rapid eye movement sleep, and deeper levels of sleep classified as NREM, rapid eye movement sleep, or non-rapid eye, closed eyes, whatever. And that pushed me to more questions or more answers that seemed to match their circumstances. Were the disciples sleep deprived from all the teaching activities and travel before their preparation for the Passover in Jerusalem? Were they depressed from the cumulative impact of the disturbing prophecies and warnings Jesus had been incorporating in his teachings? Sometimes people use sleep as an escape from reality too painful to face or trauma too crippling to remember. Jesus had said a lot of things at the table even before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then his behavior became very strange, very different when they arrived at the Garden. They had been there many times before for group prayers, but that night he took Peter, James, and John with him, a little separate from the others. And he was in a state of depression and anxiety that was quite uncommon for him. With very emotional words translated in this way, he said, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. That was a staggering disclosure and an uncompromised plea for support. It was unconventional talk for the time then and even now from a woman or a man as a leader. 
It certainly wasn't and isn't leadership vernacular, especially in a crisis. That alone had to have shaken up the disciples emotionally. Then he went a little farther. He threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, if it were possible, that the hour might pass him. The more I read this passage, the more I saw it as a milestone on the reconciliation journey of Jesus. It took me to a conversation I had a few years ago with a middle-aged friend, and he was facing a life transition. He had two aging parents simultaneously plunging into health challenges. Well, that's not uncommon for anyone fortunate enough to have two aging parents, but it didn't feel right. It just wasn't right then. And during that conversation, which we had to give each other a little relief, he communicated his feelings of helplessness this way. I got down on my knees at my bedside, like I did when I was in childhood, to pray about this situation and my helplessness in it. That same humbling human spirit was moving through Jesus as he called on God in the most intimate, intimate choice of words. Abba, Father, known in Aramaic as Daddy, Papa, in fact, scholars tell us that those intimate words are appearing only three times in any contemporary translations. Abba, Father, you can do all things. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. How many times have you tried to bargain with God? Put those hands up high, you know it's you. <laughs> Even little children try that one. Here is Jesus, son of the living God, employing the language of intimacy to make sure his father had considered all the options short of his will for the crucified Christ. Oh my goodness. Such promises we make, such devotion we confess, such lengths we go to. And here again, we have an opportunity to see the humanity in Jesus. Returning to his disciples, Jesus is shocked to find them sound asleep. Confronting Peter, he says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour, keep awake, and pray that you may not come into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Try to imagine what the disciples must have felt. Oh, maybe you don't have to imagine it. Maybe you remember a time when you disappointed an authority figure in your life or someone you respected who held high hopes for you and you fell short in a very embarrassing way. If that someone knew you very well, they addressed you sternly, like using a more formal note, a name for you. John Henry, Mary Catherine. Well, when I saw that Jesus had called his disciple Simon, not Peter, that was his nickname his intimate nickname 
for Peter that Jesus gave him. I knew Simon Peter had lost faith and favor with Jesus that night. And though we don't know what else Jesus felt or might have said at that moment, you can only imagine what extra strength he needed to continue in prayer once he saw how disengaged his standbys really were. No doubt. He was inflated but determined. He went away to continue his prayerful plea. We don't know the content of that plea, but it may have been for acceptance of his destiny. Acceptance. When you know the tide is not going to turn, there comes a moment when you've got to say, it is what it is. This is life. Luke tells us an angel appeared and gave him strength. And he prayed more earnestly. And once more, he came back and found them sleeping. Their eyes were so heavy, they couldn't wake up. They didn't know what to say to him. You know, there's something that goes like, first time, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. I don't know, third time might be hopeless. <laughs> but there are moments in all our lives when there are no more words to explain the unexplainable. What's going on here? They were less responsive and communicative that time than the last. With obvious embarrassment and shame, they resorted to just silent response. About an hour later, Jesus returned to the place where the three chosen disciples, Simon, Peter, James, and John, were to be on the lookout for him. You know the rest. There he found them sleeping again. And this time he said, are you still taking a rest? Now this is where I regret that Jesus was not hanging out in Memphis. Because we have an artful way of regionalizing language that is so colorful and poignant. Surely on one of his returns to the sleeping disciples, he would have said, Hey man, can't you even stay woke an hour? <laughs> Instead, with resolute tone, Jesus continued, Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's be going. See? My betrayer is at hand. And at that very moment, Judas, one of his disciples, arrived, leading a crowd and carrying swords and clubs. As I continued rereading Mark's account of the last night in the Garden of Gethsemane, I was sure the sleeping of the disciples was more than a coincidence. It was easy to believe that exhaustion and information overload were acceptable explanations for their two previous naps. But a third time? Even deeper sleep than the first two? To me, it was starting to look like God had a hand and was at work. I know that God often uses sleep for prophetic revelations or instructions. Remember when an angel appeared at Joseph's sleep and warned him that, hey, get up, 
wake up, move, move. You've got to take Mary and the baby Jesus because Herod has put out an amber alert for the baby king. On the other hand, there are times when God wants our undivided attention and uses sleep to say, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes God allows others to fall short of our expectations and their promises to us, whatever they are, that we're able to deny God. But God does not want that. God wants to be acknowledged that God is God all by himself. And throughout the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, and the New Testament, there are more than a hundred passages that proclaim that. Among my favorites are these three. The first one comes out of Isaiah 44, 6. Thus said the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the best. Besides me, there is no God. And then the other two I like a lot come from the book of John. All things came into being through God. And without God, not one thing came into being. And then there's the prophecy, Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Perhaps the scriptures are a clue to the real reason why the disciples slept. It struck me as really strange that there was no mention of the disciples praying for Jesus or in solidarity with him in one of the darkest hours of his life, certainly since they had known him. He invited them to pray for themselves, and they seemed unable to do even that. I believe God's power was to be on display for all of us to witness then and now. Jesus wanted the disciples to stay awake and to be alert. But God's plan was much larger, and he did not need them to comfort or to protect Jesus. He wanted to deal with Jesus alone. There are also times like that for us when God doesn't want anybody else around, no interference. What God ordains, no other guardrails are needed. God provides spiritual guardrails for any journey she offers and even the ones we choose without her blessing. God wanted to make it abundantly clear that he did not need the disciples to save Jesus, even though the disciples were offered an opportunity to participate differently than they did. This God-glorifying plan that was unfolding, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God was prophecy, spoken long ago. At the same time, their role provides us with a look-back experience on how vulnerable our humanity is and how God knows us so well. It is also important for us to see and remember how powerful God's sovereignty is. 
when we are forced to face troubling times in aloneness, but not alone. Well, by now, we have all had the experience of having your best friends, your homies, your confidants, your spouses, your children take an alternative path when you thought they had your back, that they were in your corner. I had a wonderful teacher in one of my graduate pursuits. She was a German woman by the name of Dr. Irma Magnus. And she um, was one of the architects of the social security law. And she taught at Howard University School of Social Work. And whatever she assignment she gave in public policy, uh, she always wanted to know, yes, but where are the implications for the, the, the practice? Where are the implications in this for the practice? She was brilliant. But if you couldn't take the practice into practicality, she didn't want to hear it. Well, how do we, knit Southerners, believers, doubters, decide when to stay woke and when we rely on the sovereignty of God to direct our path? You know, as well as I, we have an overwhelming list of unmet needs and life-taking systems stalking our community. We can't just park them someplace or hit pause while we go shopping and cruising and, or skiing and dining lavishly. So let's take a look. Are we sleeping through the miseducation of our youth by class and race, while taxpayer money goes to independent schools not culturally designed for the inclusion of all children to be affirmed and well-educated? Are we sleeping through a 21st century conversation on sex and sexuality for another denied population, transgender women and men coming out? Are we sleeping through the needs and gifts of the able-bodied aging men and women as they retire, unwanted idleness, illnesses, disconnected and devalued lives? Are we sleeping through the impact of disrespectful political dialogue, the impact on families with and without children, the impact on workplace assaults, the impact on road rage, and impact on the criminal justice systems? Are we sleeping through another election with ho-hum attitudes, no thoughtful conversations, no aggressive voter registration, no modest contributions, no commitment to know the issues or to even vote, and no protests against voter suppression? Are we sleeping through the anti-Asian violence that is now being activated against Asian Americans and the boycotting of their businesses because the coronavirus was first diagnosed in China. So, what are you trying to do with God's sovereignty? What are you trying to do that God's sovereignty must lead? Are you bold enough to believe passionately in something too big for you to do unless God leads? 
And when, when do you know that the outcomes are right or not? And when you face challenges that you can't predict, do you just make yourself available and stay woke? Well, that's what the late Katherine Johnson did during her 101 years of living as a NASA mathematician and human computer. And that's what Arthur Mitchell did, founder of Dance Theater of Harlem. And that's what Dr. Frederick Patterson, founder of United Negro College Fund, did that changed philanthropy around the world. And that's what John Johnson did, uh, founder and publisher of Johnson Publications that included Negro Digest, Ebony, Ebony Junior, Jet, and Fashion Fair products. And that's what Ev Gwendolyn Brooks did, writer and Pulitzer Prize winner for poetry. And that's what Paul Robeson did as a Renaissance man, outstanding in the arts, the performing arts, Shakespearean theater bearer, Tony Sidalist, multi-lettered college athlete, Princeton scholar, and that's what Daniel Chappie Jones did, Tuskegee Airman, four-star general, freedom fighter for the integration of the United States Armed Forces, and that's what Marian Anderson did when she shared her renowned contralto voice on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial after being denied access to Constitution Hall by the Daughters of the American Revolution, and that's what Charles Drew did, physician, scientist, blood plasma, preservationist, father of blood banking, and that's what Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and the prisoner to president, Nelson Mandela, did. And so it has been with millions and millions of men, women, and children, known and unknown. Generations before these mentioned and generations after. They all believed in something too big for them to do unless God led. They all faced humiliating roadblocks, barriers, and boundaries, detours, dangers, and death. The journey of reconciliation to God is not an easy journey. The path is rough and rugged in ways seen and unseen. Each person's reconciliation path to God is also like snowflakes, uniquely designed as one of a kind. Oh my, in Mark's account of the Garden of Eden, of Gethsemane, we had a chance to see Jesus slip out of his humanity with acceptance and into his garment of divinity. I believe that each one of us is on a unique spiritual journey of reconciliation. From our humanity to our divinity. I really believe that. And I believe it's possible because of a little spiritual chip right inside of us. You don't even know it's there, I bet. But there's a little spiritual chip chip right inside of us at our very core just like the one that was in Jesus and you know what I think that chip has a name and I think the chip of that spiritual chip buried in us sometimes it gets buried so deeply by the time we're adults we don't even hear it beeping 
I think its name is love. Love. And I also believe you have to stay woke. The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.